Job chapter 42. I know you thought we'd never get there. Yep, we're there. Job chapter 42. And what Brother Tid did in one message only took me 28. So, hey, there. Job chapter 42. When you find that, if you'd stand with me for the reading of the Word of God in honor of His Word, unless you're not well able to stand, and then God knows all about that. Job chapter 42. We're going to read the whole chapter. Uh, actually, it's only 17 verses. Um, and then uh, once I pray and be seated, if you'll find James chapter 5 for later on, we'll, we'll go over there here just after a while, later on, hour or so, we'll get there anyway. No. <laughs> well, y'all are thinking, boy, Miss Pam needs to get back home. You're right, I'm telling you, she needs to get back. Rain me back in. Job 42, verse 1, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for him will I accept lest I deal with you after your folly, and that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, went and did according to the, as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning for he had 14,000 sheep and six thousand camels, and a thousand yoke of oxen, and a thousand she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapak. And in all the land there were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them inheritance among their brethren." After this lived Job a hundred and forty years, and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died, being old and full of days. 
Well, I titled this last message, Broken and Blessed. Broken and Blessed. Let's pray. Father, one last time, we ask for your power, for clarity of thought, speech. Lord, just guidance from your precious Holy Spirit. Power that can only come from you. Lord, That just that unction, that liberty to preach. And Father, we ask that you would use this message like a tool to fix things in us, to help us, Lord, to draw closer to you. Bless and help what is said now. We pray you will, and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing. Please do be seated. If you'd like to find James chapter 5 for later, mark that in your Bible. That'd be, that'd be great. We'll get over there here soon. You know, after all that Job had been through, through all of this that we've looked at, this final chapter seems kind of weird to some. It just, the book of Job, truly, I think you'd agree, the book of Job has brought us face to face with the realities of a life lived in this sin-cursed world. And, and now this, this ending, well, well it, it, almost sounds, it almost sounds too good to be true. I mean, with everything that we've seen, everything that Job went through, are we really to believe that life works this way? I mean, you go through all this hardship, and then all of a sudden God fixes everything, and everything's going to be great. And we know, don't we? I mean, we know. Life is not fair. Somebody say amen right there. Life is not fair. We do well to teach our children that as they come up, for sure. Life is not fair. We know that really bad things can happen to really good people. You know, like Job. We know that's a possibility. And we can look around the world today, and we know absolutely that it's, that it's, that it's the truth across our globe. So... How Job grieved as he went through what he did... And how he was misunderstood by his friends and, and the bitterness even that crept into his heart because of everything that went on. It, it, it makes sense to us, does it not? I, I mean, come on, wouldn't you grieve if you went through what you did? And, 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 and wouldn't it be a possibility that you had people around you that didn't understand why it was happening to you? And, and certainly the bitterness... Surely we understand how that can creep into our lives and hearts. Even by something a lot less than what happened to Job, we can get bitter, can't we? Come on. We can get bitter to church members because they look at us crooked. We can get bitter because a, because a decision is made in a church that just doesn't, we just doesn't make any sense to me. Come on. I'm telling you, we can get bitter like that because that, that stuff can creep in. So, I mean, these things, these things really, it, it does make sense. And, and we'd have to think, well, you know, yes, of course, because that right there is really the way that life works. I mean, come on, you never want to challenge worse, ever. Because just when you think situations couldn't get any worse, well, they just might. Isn't that right? You don't challenge worse. Now here we are, we're seeing the end of it all. And what are we to make of this? I mean, what are, what are we to make of this? I, I mean, it's kind of like... Well, and Job lived happily ever after. 
It's almost fairy tale land. Come on, I mean, truly, it, it, it's crazy. Uh, surely God wants us to learn something from this happy ending of, li- of the life of Job. Surely He wants us to learn something from this. You know, when we started in this series, it was stated that Job, Job helps us to think about this world that we live in and, and what God has done about it. We live in a sin-cursed world. Preacher, how come all these bad things happen to good people? We live in a sin-cursed world. It's sin that causes those things. Absolutely. No, no, no. It's sin that causes those things. Why does God let these things happen? Look, I don't have all the answers, but I know this for a fact. The bad things happen because we live in a sin-cursed world. That's the world we live in. We're going to have to face it. And it's not getting any better. Have you noticed? I mean, it's not getting, it's not getting any better. So, so we, we, we want to look tonight uh, at, at three final facts of God, that really, that, that are here at the end of this thing, end of Job's life. And, and, and hopefully, we'll, hopefully we'll be able to see just a little bit clearer by the, by the time we get to the end of all of this. <clears throat> I think something that we have to see here, and something that is really good for us, young and old alike, is that Job's repentance was accepted by God. Okay, look at verse number one again. And then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? That was blamed on Job, wasn't it? Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And so in, in, in these verses, we see that Job admits his defeat. And he confesses that he confesses that he didn't have the power that God has. Oh, we saw that right there in verse number two. I know that thou, thou canst do everything. I, I mean, I mean, God's power, we know this, but, but God's power and God's abilities are limitless. God can do everything. God can do anything. Anything he chooses to do, God can do everything. But Job also confessed that he didn't possess the knowledge that God does. In the last part of verse number 2 right there. And that no thought can be withholden from thee. Well, this is something we need to remember every day. God knows everything. He knows everything. You can't hide anything from God. I said you cannot hide anything from God. God knows everything. Even all the thoughts of us all. God knows everything. And so Job came to the realization uh, that this world has a God and that he was not qualified to replace him. Okay, I need to stop here for just a second then. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, I mean, remember, Job was upset because he thought that God hadn't handled the situation the way that he should. No, no, he was upset and he was bitter because it was kind of like, you know, why am I going through all this? I mean, I tried. Right, I tried to do the right thing. I was sacrificing. I mean, I mean, I was doing good. I was trying to live for you. Come on. I, and so he kind of felt like, well, God, you're you this. You have done me injustice. You have done me a misjustice. I would not have handled this the way that you handled this. I, I, I'm telling you. And so he thought he knew better than God. But God, in his speech that we saw this past week, made Job understand that hey, there is already a God in this world, and you ain't him, Job. Yeah, you know. So Job admitted, here's, here it is. No, no, stay with me. Job admitted that he had sinned. 
No, he admitted that he sinned. No, no, it wasn't, well, you know, I just made a mistake. No, 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 no. He admitted that he had sinned against God. And, and he confessed those sins. He confessed those. I mean, he was confessing it right there. He was taking back what he had thought. He's taking back what he had said. I mean, right there, he's confessing it as sin. Now, don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Confession, confession is not just admitting that we have sinned, but it's agreeing with God about our sin. We agree with God about our sin. Verse number three there. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understand, I understood not the things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. So, so Job didn't say, Job didn't say that his friends had been right all along. Well, you know, I'd been, well, you know, I'll tell you, you know, they were, they were, they, they, they were accusing me of all this bad stuff happening because sin was in my life. No, 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 no. Job wasn't confessing like that. Come on, stay with me. Job was not confessing like that. And not at all. That, that some horrible, that he had some horrible hidden sin in his life that was causing everything that he had been going through. But what he did acknowledge was that God was right. Job had been lifted up in pride and God was right when he put Job back in his place. So he repented of those sins. Come on, we, we looked at how Job had become bitter because of his thoughts that God had not been fair in his dealings. And now this encounter with, through this encounter with, with God, that bitterness has turned to, get this, that bitterness has turned to brokenness. He'd been bitter at God, and now he is broken. Why come, preacher? Because he saw his sins the way that God sees them. And he was very ashamed at the sight of it all. Very ashamed. Where do you see that in verse number 6? He says, wherefore I abhor myself. God, I'm so ashamed. Can't believe I acted like that. Can't believe I said the things I said. I, I, I can't believe I even had the thoughts that I had. And I'm so ashamed. Should have never been like that. And it says, and repent in dust and ashes. And when he was broken over the fact that he had been full of pride, he allowed it to turn he allowed it to turn him to God in a very contrite spirit of humility. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O, o God, thou wilt not despise. You know what we don't see a lot in churches today, in people today, in church services today? We don't see brokenness. We don't see that contrite spirit. Lord, you're right. This is a terrible sin. It's not just some, some silly mistake I made. This is sin against you. Uh, my pride of thinking I can run my own life and I don't need you to direct me. It's sin against you. Uh, Lord, me thinking, me thinking that this is okay even though your word says it's not. It's sin against you. No, no, no. We've got to get back to a place where we, whatever God calls sin, we see his sin. 
And when we see it in our own life, ladies and gentlemen, that we're broken about that. Lord, I've sinned in your sight. I'm telling you, no, no, come on, I don't have to back up. He sees everything. He knows everything. He knows every thought. You're not hiding from Him. And you're not hiding anything from Him. I'm telling you, He knows it all. And and when we get to that place where we're not prideful, because it's pride that makes us think that we can get by with sin. It's pride that makes us think we can hide sin. It's not hurting anybody. It's pride that makes us think that we know better than God, so we can run our life the way we want to, no matter what God says. It's nothing but pride. And we know that's the top of his, on the top of his hate list. It is sin. And when we get to a place where we're ready to acknowledge that, man, God can do great things in our life. But we have to get to a place where we are more concerned about what God thinks about the sin in our life, that we're willing to deal with it, than we are concerned about the people that are sitting in the congregation uh, when, when invitation time comes, that we would go down to an altar, that we would bow a knee before God and man, and that we would confess those sins before God with true repentance in my heart. Lord, I don't want to be that way anymore. I don't want to act that way anymore. I don't want to have that in my life anymore. I'm going to clear those things out. I, I'm not going to do these things anymore. I'm telling you, we need to get back to a place where we're really broken about our sin to the point of real repentance that we will do whatever we need to do to get back in, uh, to get back in line with what God wants us to do. Whatever we have to get rid of in our life, however we have to change our life, whatever we need to do, whatever we need to do, that we're willing to do that. That's a good sign of a broken Spirit. It's a good sign of a contrite heart, for sure. So Job repents. And then God confronted the friends of Job. Look at verse number 7 there. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. For ye have not spoken to me this thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Therefore, take unto you now seven bullocks, seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer up, for, uh, offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, and that ye have not spoken of me this, uh, the thing which is right, like my servant Job. So, I like it, so Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Namathite went and did according as the Lord commanded them. Isn't that something? God says, here's what I want you to do. Next thing we see is them going and doing what God says, what he wants them to do. It's almost foreign. Oh, don't look at me like that. We come to church week after week after week after week. We hear what God wants us to do. We know what God wants us to do. And we walk out. Man, we're just happy. Shake everybody's hand. Go have a cup of coffee. We're doing, we're not happy. We have no thought whatsoever we're going to change anything. I mean, we've done our duty, we've been to church, we listen to the pastor yell and tell his dumb jokes. I mean, it's not like we're terrible, we haven't killed anybody this week, even though we thought about it several times, which by the way is sin. And we come in and we go out 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 and we hear what God wants us to do and we're not doing it. You know what that is? I'll go ahead and tell you, it's sin. It's sin. 
And, and we think, no, 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 we think because of God's graciousness, and we think because of God's long-suffering, and we think because God is patient with us that, you know, God just doesn't care. I mean, you know, it must be that, you know, the good works I'm doing outweigh all this little bit of bad that I'm doing along the way, or whatever might happen in our little pea brains along the way. But I'm telling you, sin is sin. And we should not mistake the grace of God for God's acceptance of that sin that's in our life. We need to deal with it. We need to deal with it. No, no, time after time. Well, preacher, I'm telling you. I mean, what do people think if I'm down at the altar every time, every service, down at the altar? Well, maybe they'll think, boy, I tell you, maybe they're trying to walk close to God. Well, well, what if they think bad of me? Then they should have followed you to the altar. Come on, look, these, the, the altars that we have are not some type of a religious thing that we have here. No, 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 no. These, these are mourner benches. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus himself said it, and he was talking about those that are willing to mourn uh, over their sins against God. Their sins against God. Their sins against God. It's not like I've sinned against anybody, preacher. Their sins against God. He's the one we first and foremost have to think about. That we have sinned against him. I mean, even David said that after he sinned with Bathsheba, didn't he? I've sinned against thee and thee only. I'm telling you, first and foremost, we need to be thinking about our sins against God. And if God says that, that we're supposed to do something or stop something, then we would do well, well to do it or to stop it. Well, preacher, you're making it sound like it's easy. Oh, no, no, no. No, it's, it's not always easy, but it is simple. No, God put it in black and white. This is what you're supposed to do. Well, I tell you, I, you know, I just don't see any way that I can do that. Well, you can't do it on your own, but I promise you, you can do it with God's help. No, no, if you really want God's help, and you're really willing to, don't go to sleep on me, and you're really willing to repent, not just confess, but repent. What does that mean? That means you're going to do whatever you have to do to make sure no, no, to, to help but make sure that you're not going to continue to do the same old thing week after week and month after month and year after year. Man, God told them what they're supposed to do. Guess what? They jumped up and headed that way. And you know, God didn't seem like he was too happy with Job's friends. No, after he got down with Job, I, and they're still in the wrong. The way that they had acted, the way that they had treated Job through this whole thing, they were still in the wrong. You know, Psalm chapter 7, verse number 11 says, God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. God is a righteous judge. Somebody say amen. Absolutely so. He's just in everything that he does. Absolutely. And, and anger, God's anger is different. Anger is a... Anger, with, it, with, anger is an a, a, uh, emotion. It's an emotion of condemnation with God. Uh, what, what do you mean, preacher? Well, he doesn't get angry in the same manner in which we get angry. And, 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 no, no, he doesn't get angry because he's inconvenienced. And he doesn't get angry because he's irritated. God gets angry at sin. He gets angry at sin. Come on, study it out for yourself. Read your Bible. Every time you see God angry, it's because somebody has sinned. God gets angry at sin. 
And, and I don't know whether we get this stupid little picture in our mind that God's some old timer up there that, you know, really doesn't pay attention to a whole lot. And he just winks at sin every once in a while. And man, I'm there, you know, boy, it's just, it's all right. It's okay. Now, God is long suffering and he's patient and he's loving and he's kind and gentle and all those wonderful things. I'm so glad that he is. But he gets angry at sin. You know, these friends that had been confronting Job about his sins through all of this also had sins that needed to be corrected. And so Job has now responded to God. God's correction of him, he responded. I mean, he got to a place, he was broken, he repented and all of those things. He, he made things right with God. I, I mean, I mean he, 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 he did what he know, knew that he needed to do. And, and apparently, apparently in spite of, of, of all of that, the, these friends had, had, had heard and, and all that these friends had seen, they remain unchanged. Okay, man, God's dealing with Job. About time God deal with Job. I don't know what their mindset was, but you know, boy, I tell you, we've been after him. He hadn't done anything. And now God has dealt with him. But even seeing all that, stay with me here. They had not humbled themselves. They did not humble themselves in the sight of God. And they did admit, they did not admit that they needed God's forgiving grace also. Although Job had repented of his sins, they were still indifferent about their own sins. But God was extending his grace and God was giving them opportunity to get right with him. Verse number eight there says, uh, He said, for him, Job shall pray for you about halfway down. Job shall pray for you, for him will I accept. Then he says this, lest I deal with, your, deal with you after your folly. So God, God could have dealt with them after their folly. What are you talking about? Punishing them for their sins. He could have dealt with them. No, no, no. He could have punished them for their sins. Sure he could have. Yeah. But because of his graciousness, God offers to deal with them in forgiveness. That's our God. No, no, if we're willing to listen to him and do what he would ask us to do, that forgiveness is always there. It's always there. I'm so very thankful for that. So here is God. I love it. Here is God sowing seeds of mercy with great hopes of reaping the uh, fruits of repentance in our lives. I mean, he's merciful, God. Come on, he was merciful back in the Old Testament. He's definitely merciful in the New Testament. He's always been merciful. Surely. Yeah. So God gives them instruction. I love this. God gives them instruction on how to be reconciled back to him. Their sins were going to require sacrifice. Talks about that at the beginning of verse number 8. You need to go get you some bullocks and rams and all these things. We know, we know that, we know, of course, the Old Testament times, Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There had to be shedding of blood. We know that. Romans 6.23 says, for the wage of sin is death. And so there had to be this letting of, of, of blood. And, and, and their sinfulness, I love this, and their sinfulness, go get, the, go get the bullocks and go get the rams, but their sinfulness required a mediator. Someone that was right with God. Someone who would intercede with God on their behalf. And God says, and my servant Job shall pray for you. So God invites them to be reconciled to Job. 
I suppose you see something here too, preacher. I see a very important point right here because our relationships with other our relationship with other people are very important to maintain a right relationship with God. Oh, please don't miss that. Our relationship with other people is very important to maintain a right relationship with God. 1 John 2.9 says this, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. Matthew 5.23 uh, says, says, Therefore if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother, get this, get this, get this, and there rememberest thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift with the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Well, I'm telling you, they got something against me. It's not my problem. According to God, it is. Uh, according to God, we are supposed to uh, try to take the steps to make sure that we are reconciled that way. Stay with me here. So what if I go to them and, and they don't want to do anything? Well, then it's back on them. But you have done what you're supposed to do. That's good preaching if I am doing it. It's not, an always, it's not always an easy thing to do. Sometimes you have to take a big, big bite of humble pie to do that. But I'm telling you, if it's going to help me to maintain my relationship with God, my closeness to God, come on, that's just as much Bible as any part of the Bible. We can't pick and choose what we want to believe and what we don't want to believe. We don't need to be running some other version of the Bible trying to find one that agrees with us along the way. Let God be true and every man a liar. And if we have a problem with somebody, we better be doing everything we can in our power to make sure that that is made right. Come on, don't make me say that again. We ought to be doing everything. I'm going to say it again anyway. We ought to be doing everything in our power to make sure that that is made right. God has dealt with me before in the past and I've made eight-hour trips to sit down with somebody and try to make things right because they had something against me. No, my heart was already cleared. I'd already... But I mean, God dealt with my heart about it. And I made a long trip so I could sit down look at them face to face and do whatever I needed to do to make things right, to try to get that cleared up. I'm telling you, friend, this is an important part of the Word of God. There's so much hatred in our world today. I mean, the devil is doing everything he can to turn us against one another. And he'll use, he'll use big things, he'll use small things, he'll use anything in between. If he can get us to look in downright disdain, disgust at a brother or sister or whatever, I mean, he'll do whatever he can to try to put us up. I'm telling you, we need to have a conscience pure of those things. We need to make sure that we have done everything that we can do to make it right with others. No, no. Jesus didn't say that if you have something against somebody. He says, if, if, if you remember, that brother hath ought against thee. So the ball's in our court no matter what, isn't it? Sure. 
I'm here to tell you tonight that a surefire way to demonstrate that we have made things right with God is our own willingness to make things right with others. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind to one, another, one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So we want God's help and forgiveness. These three friends, they wanted God's help and forgiveness. And to do that, they were going to have to humble themselves the way that Job had humbled himself. There had to be repentance of their sins, confession of their need of God's grace. Now, once you get this, come on, come on, come on, come on. It probably took some real humbling to go to Job for the help that they needed to get back to God. I mean, the guy that they had been blasting for so long, telling him how wicked he must be. God knows how to work, doesn't he? And once these things were done, hallelujah, God's forgiveness was sure. Their relationship with God was restored. And then the finish of it all is that God blesses Job after the trial is done. Verse number 10, I love the way it says this. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. I love the way that has. I'm telling you. There's so much in this book as we've gone through it that just has been helped me so much. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Job, uh, God turned the captivity of Job. Brother Mike mentioned earlier about looking up words, studying words, whatever. That, that word turned there in that verse comes from a Hebrew word which means return to the starting point. <laughs> I can enjoy this all by myself. It's okay. But I'm telling you, that's great stuff right there. He turned the captivity of Job. He he returned him to the starting point. Now, now, Job didn't know it yet. But in the years ahead, God was going to erase the effects of the suffering. Because he was going to restore everything that Job had lost. And then he was going to go on to abundantly bless Job more than Job ever thought possible. The, the heart of Job's brethren were turned back to him by God. It talks about that in verse number 11. Then came unto him his brethren and all his sisters. So the hearts of his brethren were turned back to him. The circumstances of Job's life were turned completely around also, verses 12 through 16, I mean, man, God was blessed and he was blessed. And in and, and verse uh, number 12, so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. Talks about all that he restored. Job's prosperity was restored by God. We know that. And he gave him twice what he had had before the trials ever began. His family was restored. The house was once again filled with sons and daughters. 
Job would go ahead to live a long, long life and see, well, he lived long enough to see great-great-grandchildren. And God teaches us what the future holds for the righteous. Get this. Come on, come on. No, I'm going to finish. You don't even believe that, but I am. God shows us what the future holds for the righteous. Where do you see that, preacher? Verse 17. So Job died. That's what the future holds for us. Preacher, that's not very uplifting. Oh, yes it is. Absolutely so. I've had just about enough of this world. I mean, I don't want to leave on the next train or anything, but Job died. And certainly he died in a very blessed state. We know that. I mean, generations of joy and prosperity behind him. I mean, man, God blessed for sure. The end of Job's life was far better than he ever dreamed it would be. I mean, don't you? Come on. I mean, while sitting there in that pile of ashes in the middle of town, scraping boils off of his body with a piece of broken pottery. I mean, I don't think Job was thinking at that time, man, I can't wait till God fixes all of this and restores me twice. And man, this is going to be great. I don't, you know, I don't think that he had that on his mind at that point, you know. You ever been through a trial? You ever get to feeling like I I, I don't even want to face this anymore? No, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be near as bad as what Job was facing. But if we're not careful, we'll get to saying, man, I'm telling you, I, I'm, just, I don't, I'm fed up with this. I, I don't even want to deal with this anymore. We know that's the way Job felt because he said, man, maybe it would have been better if I'd never been born. But see, we're looking to the future. Come on, we're looking for that blessed hope to come back any day, aren't we? Come on, aren't we? Aren't we? Come on, we're supposed to be every day. We're looking for Him to come back. Every day, we're looking. That's what keeps our hope up, that He's coming. And He is coming, without a doubt. Oh yeah, He is. When's He coming, preacher? Tomorrow, hopefully. Or what if He doesn't come tomorrow? He'll come the next day then. What if he don't come then? Probably the next day after that. Come on, we have to have that mindset. We're looking for him. Because I'm telling you, a mindset like that, you know what it'll do? It'll prompt us to tell other people about Jesus. It'll prompt us to invite people to church. It'll prompt us to pass out tracts. It'll prompt us to keep looking up, knowing that God is in control. And no matter what we might be facing today, tomorrow could be a lot better. Because Jesus may come back. And if we know for sure, know that we know that we know that we know that we're saved by the grace of God, you know, to say, well, and Job died. That's not a bad thing. Well, and Bill died. Uh, It's not a bad thing, I'm telling you. No, no, no. When you hear that I'm dead, you can believe I'm more alive than I've ever been. Amen. 
Absolutely so. It's going to get better for us. Okay, preacher, so what, what's, the, what's the lesson here then, pastor? Well, think with me. Think with me. Come on, come on, just a few more minutes. Think with me. Is God teaching that faithful Christians who have suffered losses like that are going to get their health and their wealth back? I mean, is He teaching Christian parents who lose a child or two or maybe even more that they're always going to get, their, get more children in return? I mean, how would that be any different from what Job's friends had proclaimed to him through this whole ordeal. I mean, if a Christian parent loses a child and then doesn't get one back, can we conclude that there must be something wrong in that person's life? Because, hey, if not, God would surely give them another child. We have to watch out what we're thinking and how we're looking at God. If a Christian's health gets bad, like, like, like Job did, and, and they go to, on to live out the rest of their days with, I don't know, diabetes or heart problems, some horrible disease in their body, are we then to think that they must have some wicked sin that they're hiding or else God would heal them? And if that is... The conclusion we are meant to reach from reading the book of Job, then we found no help. We have found, come on, brain, we have found no hope whatsoever in the book of Job. Now, if that's the conclusion we draw out of this, well, I mean, Job was right with God all that time, then God restored him all those different things. So, what if, what if it doesn't happen to other people? No, 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 please, please stay with me here. We can't look that. It would definitely be contradictory and confusing view and a confusing view of this life and of God. Turn over to James chapter 5. We'll finish up. James chapter, James chapter 5. Come on. Hurry with. Get over there with me. James chapter 5. <clears throat> Look at verse number 7. James chapter 5, verse number 7. The Bible says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not, against, grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. <clears throat> God does have blessing. For every born-again child of God, listen to me, at the coming of the Lord. B. 
Be patient, therefore, brethren. The fruit from the seeds of righteousness that we've sown in this life will be reaped in eternity. I was thrilled, truly, when Brother Mike contacted me today before service and told me that three men were saved at the prison. Hallelujah. And he got up and testified that to the church tonight. I just rejoiced again. But Brother Mike didn't tell you that so you could go and pat him on the back after service and tell him how a great preacher he must have been while he was uh, preaching to all those guys. No, 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 no. What he's going to get will be reaped in eternity. And see, we can see the consistency of this message all the way through our Bible. What we can see in in what God did for Job in the end is similar to the resurrection of Jesus. It points us to future hope. Future hope. A future hope. Come on. Job got right with God. And then it took some time before all this stuff was restored, didn't it? Come on, it wasn't restored that day. Future hope. We're looking at the future. What God's going to do. What God can do. I mean, even if it's the very end of this thing, it points us to future hope. And as we go through trials, uh, the trials of this life, we trust in God. And we continue to do right no matter what. Because in the end, we have a far uh, far greater blessedness waiting than we could ever dream possible. Just like Abraham, it waits for us in that city whose builder and maker is God. Like the Apostle Paul will one day know that I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. One of these days. Preacher, it just gets hard sometimes. You don't have to tell me, I know. I mean, like the Apostle Paul, we can be troubled on every side and, and, and not be distressed. We can be perplexed and not in despair. We can be forsaken but not cast down. If we got our eyes on the right place. Second Corinthians chapter 4 says, Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up, also, uh, raise, raise up us also by Jesus. Therefore we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We, we most definitely live in a world in which the worst things can happen to some of the best God, of God's people. Sad to say. This life can be confusing. And I promise you this life can be incredibly hard. But, but as Christians, we're never without hope. And I am not talking about, I am not talking about the hope that everything's going to turn out just the way we'd like for it to right now. Because it may not. It may not. But the hope that God does 
have very incredible blessings in store for us at the end of this life. And that's why we as believers can be broken and yet blessed. And Job died. In the book, Job died. Oh, preacher, that's sad. Oh, no, it's not. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And it's something Job, uh, God blessed Job so tremendously, giving him double back and all the things that he did. But can you imagine when Job opened his eyes in heaven? <laughs> I know that Job had to be ecstatic as years went by and children were born again and grandchildren were born and all the cattle is back. His health is restored. Man, God is so good to me. Man, God is so good to me. I mean, I bet no telling how many times. Man, God is so good to me. I mean, no, no, no telling how many times he said that along the way. But I'm telling you, when he opened his eyes in heaven... He realized that this earth doesn't hold a candle to what God holds for us eternity. And I'm telling you, no matter what we might go through in this life, whatever, whatever we might go through in this life, we have great hope. We have great hope. And I'm telling you, if we keep our eyes on Him, we won't end up despondent. And we won't end up in despair. And we won't walk around with our head hung down. I'm telling you, we are a child of the King. We have an inheritance waiting for us. And we need to keep our eyes and mind on Him. On Him. Let's stand. Stand with me. I'm done. Father, bless this time and help us. Lord, there may be some struggling in this place tonight. They just need to get their eyes back on You. I, I don't know how You may have spoken to hearts. But as we open up this altar, I pray that folks that need to come, will come. Lord, they, they, I, there may be people in here that have gone through struggles for years and they just can't let it go. Things happen in their life that were, were, were terrible things, but they just can't seem to let it go. They think that they know better. They think it shouldn't have happened that way. Lord, I'm not saying that anything bad that has happened with anybody is a good deal. But Lord, I pray that You'd help them to turn their trust back to You. And to make those things right. And for them to set their sights back on what You want to do in their life, even while they're here, but... Certainly what you have for them in the end of this life. Bless this few minutes of invitation that we have, Lord, to help people. We pray and thank you for your goodness.